You're listening to the Weekly Sermon Podcast for Bethany Lutheran Church in Long Beach, California. This morning we begin a a five-part Lenten series called Households of Faith. And I I want you to take a look at this picture that's up on this screen. Uh, This happened on April the 30th, 1944 is when this picture was taken. And it was 63 people who were packed into a a recently purchased Lutheran parsonage in Lakewood Village area of Long Beach. And it was the first service of the household of faith that soon to become known as Bethany Lutheran Church. Led by Pastor Norb Miller, this household of faith would grow into a a place that has uh, seen many, many generations come and go. And I want you to look at that picture. In that picture, you see young and you see old. You see male and female. You see uh, tall and short. Perhaps there are those in that picture who have known Jesus their whole life. There might be some who are brand new to the faith, or maybe they even first heard about it on that particular morning. But I know one thing that on that day, the Holy Spirit was right there in the middle of it all, forming and shaping, enlightening and leading. Now, I'm not sure what the sermon was that day, but I do know that the days and the weeks, the months, the years, and the decades that went by, a household of faith was formed. It was an event to be remembered. In fact, I'm sure somebody there at some point said, we got to get a picture of this. Everybody's wearing their Sunday best. Everybody seems like they've got it all together. But if you know uh, about getting pictures with a group of people, you probably know it wasn't probably that easy to get all of those people in one spot. Now, I know that the records show that there were 63 people there. If you get really close, and I started counting this week, there's not 63 people in that picture. I'm sure there is somebody off on the side having a meltdown. There's probably someone who needed to go to the bathroom, someone who wasn't paying attention. I don't know if there was a table of donuts there and somebody is having a donut and sees everybody getting their picture taken. I don't know what's going on with the little girl on the far right, but she's a little bit distracted from everybody else. I would bet dollars to donuts not everybody was there because in that particular event, it's hard to get everybody together. You ever try to do it with your own family? Trying to get a picture when everybody is together, making sure that everybody is looking great. Everybody is smiling. Nobody is making a funny or a goofy face. Perhaps you have been taking pictures of your kids getting ready to to post it on Instagram, to stay still and to look pretty. It's a big undertaking. And and to be honest, it was kind of what Kaylee was doing up here, trying to just basically herd cats, right? You might have felt like that today, getting your kids here to church, right? Things maybe didn't go quite well. There were some anxious moments in the car. Maybe there are some anxious moments happening right now. You feel like you have to have it all together. Maybe you took that picture while the kids were singing. You're getting ready to post it on Instagram. And then the pastor started to get up. Oh, I got got to make for sure I'm paying attention. Joe, go ahead and post it to Instagram. Just tag Bethany Lutheran Church in it. That would be great. (laughs) Church can be an event. 
a place where everybody seems to be happy and well put together. We uh, make these promises to, to maybe love more and to do what we should be doing. But it's also a place where Jesus comes to us, to sit with us. But if we think that this is all that there is, that these moments in worship, that these big events uh, are all that there is, I think maybe we've missed the point. It's not about getting that perfect picture. Because God is not just contained here in this place. God is with you in the mundane and the simple and the ordinary day-to-day lives. As you were getting ready for this morning, I don't know what happened. Maybe there was a, a fight between a couple of your kids. Maybe somebody spilled the orange juice. Maybe the coffee pot overflowed. Maybe there were tears, and that might have just been from the adults. But that perfect family picture, that event, that Sunday moment is not all there is when it comes to living a life of faith. It's more than what happens in this place. Our New Testament lesson for today is a great example of that. It's uh, the second half of a story that maybe you know pretty well. The Apostle Paul, also known as Saul, is on, was on a mission to, to seek out and to destroy Christians. And as he's on his way to the city of Damascus, a blinding light throws him off uh, to the ground, and there's a voice from heaven that says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And Saul asks, who are you? And the voice says, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Get up and go into the city, and I'm going to tell you what to do. And he stayed there for three days. Now, perhaps you've heard that story before. You probably know that it's known as Paul's conversion. But I want you to see what doesn't happen. Paul's conversion doesn't take place on the road to Damascus. It's a Damascus Road event. It is an important thing that happens. But the conversion takes place three days later in the house of Judas on Straight Street, as Ananias, called by the Lord, comes to a person who was his enemy. And our text picks it up. Ananias left and entered Judas's house. After he placed his hands on Saul, Ananias said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on your way to Damascus, sent me to you. He wants you to see again, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately, something like fish scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. Then... Saul stood up, was baptized, and after he had something to eat, his strength came back to him. Now, I'm not sure what happened all on those three days in Judas's house, but I know that there was something amazing that happened. Now, I can only guess that on those three days, there were some conversations, Conversations of what happened on the road. Conversations of those who were coming and going. It seems that Judas had the gift of hospitality. Perhaps there were more people coming and going in his house. There might have been some anxiety and some tears. I, get, I bet somebody spilled the milk at some point during those couple of days. You see, the regular and the mundane, the ordinary life events happened too. People slept and talked. And in fact, we even catch a little bit of that too. Paul had something to eat, and his strength came back to him. Ananias comes 
and Paul is baptized, and his life is changed forever. It was that Damascus Road moment where God got Paul's attention, but it was those three days in Judas's house on Straight Street where God's words began to sink in, began to work on Paul, where he, he clearly heard what he was supposed to do. Now, God does indeed work through special events, amazing worship services, heartfelt songs, inspiring preaching, corporate connection. But it seems to me that he also does some of his best work in the messy and the mundane moments that happen in your household. Now, this is not the first time that Jesus employs this strategy. It seems like Jesus uh, embraced and valued the household. He chose individual homes as a central tool in sharing about the kingdom of God. Jesus spent his ministry in the context of houses and families. And I think that this domestic preference is purposeful and explicit. Yes, we know about Jesus speaking to the crowds, but it seemed like his end game was always to sit with someone, to share a meal, to have that intimate conversation, for people to come close to him in, in homey proximity, a place where the ordinary and the routine happens, where you really get to know someone with unhurried conversation. A place, we might say, of messy prayers, loud conversations, and open doors. You see, Jesus comes to embrace every part of your life, not just the big Damascus Road events, but all of those straight street moments. He comes to be with you in the good and the bad, in the times of joy, and times, honestly, when life just sucks, when it's hard. Perhaps you had one of those moments today. You might have one of those moments later on. You might experience them. Maybe not might. You will experience them at some point this week. Yes, we get dressed up. We come to church. We might even take a picture. It looks like we've got all things ready to go. But it's not simply about this event. It's about all of the other moments that will happen. If you look to the Bible, it seems that uh, life of the household is central to Jesus. And in the household, Jesus seems to do some of his best work. He embraces the suck with you. He sits with you when you are at your wit's end. When uh, he, He's there to offer his life when you think yours is no longer worth living. living. In the humdrum and in the commonplace, we find the extraordinary Jesus Christ who sits with you who forgives you all of your sins. And it seems to me that households matter to Jesus. Now, as you look through the Bible, we find that the, the word or the term household is explicitly talked about over 2,100 times in the pages of Scripture, and the Bible has a lot to say about households. But before we explore what that is, perhaps we have to ex uh, explain what exactly is the Bible talking about when we talk about a household. Now, in the pages of the Bible, a household is very different than what you're probably thinking about right now. I live in the same culture that you do, and for most of us, when we think about a household, you're thinking about just those people that live in your house. I want you to take that out of your brain right now. That's not what the Bible is talking about when it talks about a household. A household uh, that we might be thinking about is a large, extended group of people 
multiple generations, guests, employees, in-laws, travelers, friends, people that intersect our life on a regular basis. When we start thinking about that, it maybe expands our idea of a household, not simply a family. One quick example, in the book of Exodus uh, chapter 1, we see or we hear these words. These are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob, each with his own household, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. And I've seen uh, 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 Joseph in the amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. Maybe you have too. And I have this vision of these 12 people walking across a sand dune all the way to Egypt. But that's not what the Bible says. Listen again. These are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob, each with his own household. This is not 12 people. This is not 24 people. This might be 240, 560 people. We don't really know. This is not just a small group. Now, we don't have time to get into the 2,100 verses that talk about a household, but it's more than simply just family. It's more than roommates. Small groups might sort of work. Church might kind of get to the idea of it, but maybe we're a little bit too geographically spread out to get to the biblical idea about it. Community maybe helps a little bit about it, but maybe it's too vague. Team kind of works. We're all kind of working in the same way, but maybe not multi-generational. I don't know the best way to describe it. Maybe it's my extended family plus. You might live with an extended family. You might have family who lives close to you. When you talk about extended family and you get together for parties, there might be hundreds of people. Others of you, it might just be two, three, or four people. In my household, I might want to say I have a core household. That's me, my wife, Jill, our two kids, and our mother-in-law who lives with us. We might extend that out to our expanded household, those people who are over on a weekly or a regular basis for for dinner or for uh, uh, just conversation. I might be in somebody else's household as somebody who is in their house regularly. You might be a part of multiple households. I'd love for you to take a little bit of time this week to think who is in my household and who might I invite into that household to live life with them. And I know there are some who feel that they're not a part of the household. In fact, research says that over a quarter of adults in the United States live alone. But one of the great things about the household, as as far as it is defined in the Bible, is that there is always a place for one more. We have this uh, saying in our house, "Eh, what's one more? You always got room for one more. You can always set a table for one more person. There's always enough food on the stove for one more person. Can you invite one more person into your household? Because households matter to Jesus. It's no wonder that households became the the basic social unit of the church, where household life and faith life were intertwined. There was no difference between what happened on Sunday and what happened on Monday through Saturday. But we also know that we are a broken people. We live in a broken world, and our homes don't always function the way that we might want them to. But the home is a place where the faith is caught, not necessarily taught. Oh, it's taught in the home, 
but our children and the other generations see our faith by how we are interacting with that faith. What happens every single moment outside of this particular event is important to Jesus because your household matters to Jesus. Well, let's take a look at a couple of big themes as we move on here in a couple of different weeks. You know, in our gospel lesson for today, Jesus wants to sit and to eat with the broken, the lonely, the grieving, the guilty. The elite of his day mocked him and said, why are you sitting with sinners and tax collectors? And Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And we know that each and every one of our households has a little bit of sickness in it. That sickness is known as sin. Jesus comes to sit with you in the middle of your sin to offer his forgiveness, and in his name he forgives you all of your sin. You see, God sees households. He's a part of those Damascus Road events and all of those straight street moments. Now, yes, I understand that God sees us as individuals. He calls us individually to faith, especially that faith that comes to us in the waters of baptism, but he interacts with us as households. Now, that gives me a, a lot of hope because God not only sees you as an individual, he sees you as a household, and he cares about what happens in your house. And to be honest, that's a pretty awesome thing. He cares about my marriage. He cares about my relationship with my kids, my relationship with my neighbors. It's not simply that Jesus loves me. Jesus loves all of us. He pays attention to the way my entire household acts, and he cares and he desires to sit with us when things just really suck. Second big thing is households often rise and fall together. Perhaps you've heard the phrase, if mama ain't happy, ain't no one happy. Because households rise and fall together. It's not, it's not just the actions of individual people, but the actions of one person can affect the entire household. My faith life is not simply just my faith life. The things that I do in my household have an effect of everybody who intersects with me. Each member impacts the other member. And in a household, you're all in the same boat. And you want to be pushing together through the highs and the lows and to know that Jesus is with you no matter what, because your household matters to Jesus. And the third big thing is that God works through your household. God is not just active here on Sunday morning when you come to church. Oh yes, he's active here on Sunday morning in church, but he acts and he works through your household. We often focus on the individuals in the Bible, don't we? We talk about Noah or Ruth or David. But if you really start digging into it, it was not just Noah who was saved in the flood. Who was saved? Noah and his whole family. Ruth, who came as her, uh, her husband w uh, died and her, and her uh, mother-in-law, Naomi, was distraught, came to, to be a part of a, of a household of faith. And through the household of Ruth, we find King David being born. We also know the Christmas story, don't we? Joseph goes to Bethlehem. Why? Because he was of the house and the lineage of David. We have other examples of whole households being saved. The Philippian jailer in Acts 16, the household official from Capernaum from John 4, Lydia's household in Acts 16, and the house of Crispus in Acts 18. 
From the very uh, early on in the church, the word people used to refer to, to, to this grouping of church was that of a household. Remember that guy Paul who spent three days in Judas's house on Straight Street? This is what he said to, to the Galatians. You are the household of faith. And he said this to the Ephesians. You are now the household of God because households matter to Jesus. So you might be thinking, my household needs a whole lot of work. Pastor, if you would have seen the hour before we got here to church, it's a mess. It's a wreck. We can barely hold it together for the, the, the hour that we're here in church. But let me tell you, Jesus comes to join with you each and every day, not just here, in every moment, in all of those regular mundane things. You don't have to have everything figured out. He comes to say to you unequivocally, your sin is forgiven and he promises to be with you today, tomorrow, and the next day, and the next day, and beyond. It's not about getting that perfect picture. It's not about getting that, that event captured where you feel like you have to have everything all figured out. It's about living life day to day with one another, struggles and all. If you want to learn more about this, I invite you to come back over the next couple of weeks in Lent as we talk about these households of faith and how households matter to Jesus. And I want to give you a little bit of homework to get you started. If you're wondering where you can start to, to kind of maybe foster a little bit about the, a little bit of this faith in your home, we're going to, I want you to do something this week that's called a household huddle. Take your worship folders out, open them to page 14. If you're joining us online or watching uh, the recording, uh, there's a link to the bulletin in the video notes or on our website. Page 14 has something called household huddles. In this season of Lent, between now and Easter, I would like you and your household to gather at least once a week to do a household huddle. If you've been with us for the last couple weeks, we've been teasing this idea. Now, for generations, during Lent, the church has gathered on Wednesday nights to share life with one another, to hear the word, to talk about what it means to pray and to bless one another. And I'm gonna ask you to do that in your households this Lenten season. Now, I know some of you have been put off by the decision that we made not to hold in-person services here in this place. It's because we'd love for you to hold in-person service in your homes, in your households this week or, and this season. This household huddle, we encourage you to find time to gather. And it is going to take the same pattern that we have in worship. We invite you to, to share and to read to talk, to pray, and to bless, to share your highs and lows. What are the things that happened great this week? What are the struggles that you might be having? There's some ways in which you can look and how to do that there on page 14. Honestly, it's exactly what we do here in worship. We're just asking you to do it in a home. Your household may include the people that you share a roof with and four walls, but I invite you to think about that extended family, that extended household of faith, how much you invite them uh, to be with you. Now, if you feel like you don't have a household, I'd invite you to encourage some friends. Come on over, uh, maybe go to, to a park somewhere or go uh, grab lunch with one another. Maybe have a dinner party and have them come over and do a household huddle with them. Talk, uh, uh, share and read and talk and pray and bless. 
Maybe have a Zoom call with people and, and ask them to have a household huddle with you. And I know it's different. And I know it's hard. And I know some of you are upset about it. And I, if you want to talk to me about it, I'd be happy to, to share w- with you even more. And I'd be happy to encourage you to have a household huddle. Give it a try. Not just for one week, but maybe for all of Lent. Every single Sunday, there's going to be a household huddle for you to be working through in the season of Lent. And I'd invite you to join with this extended household of faith to to gather, to share, read, talk, pray, and bless. And perhaps we get back to our roots and we see that renaissance of souls that we talked about for so long a few years back as we gather in our households. Perhaps we remember that household of faith that we see up on the screens, that that wonderful picture of that household of faith that came together to share, read, talk, pray, and bless. If we can be of assistance to you into forming these household huddles, if you got questions, if you want uh, some, some uh, ways in which uh, we can uh, help you, please talk to Pastor Kevin, talk to myself, talk to Pastor Kyle, to, to Carl, to Kaylee, to, to any of us on staff, because we'd love to be like those people on the plane with Joshua who said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you and we thank you for the gift of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, who comes to be with us in in the middle of uh, the highs and the lows of life. Lord, we ask you to, to be with all of the households of faith that are gathered here in this place. Help them to find times to share, read, talk, pray, and bless with one another this week and always, knowing that you are always with them. Lord, we thank you for this wonderful gift, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening today. A video archive of our online worship services, including today's message, can be found on our YouTube channel and at www.bethanylutheran.org. Links for both of these are in the show notes. If you would like to support this podcast or the ministry of Bethany Lutheran Church in Long Beach, California, you can text the word GIVE to 562-210-0463. That's GIVE, G-I-V-E, to 562-210-0463. We pray that you have a wonderful and blessed week.